Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We will continue in our series of what we believe. And we have gone through several different uh, major themes of doctrine and what we believe. And it's been very good. If you want to know about some of this, you can find us either on the website, I think, or a podcast. I'm not sure how that works, but it, it does work, I hear. As we're studying these passages of Scripture and we're studying who, who we are, what we believe, uh, we come to this line of demarcation of some distinctives of our church. So up until now, we've been looking at very broad subjects of what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, what we believe about uh, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the work of the Son, salvation, the human nature. We've looked at all this, and then we start to get very distinctive of what it is about our local congregation. And we did a survey probably three, four years ago, maybe maybe five years ago, and uh, just asking people who they are and what they believe and people who attended. And we found out that there's probably um, three to five percent of the people that don't know that we're a Baptist church. And so I, I went outside and I went and looked up the sign. And I said, yeah, it does say Glen Meadows. Baptist church, and so, but some people dismiss that, and we are a Baptist, but what, what is a Baptist? What do we believe? What's unique or distinction, a distinction of a Baptist? And, and one of the things that we do share with other groups, and you don't have to be a Baptist to believe this, but it's something true about us, we believe that the Lord Jesus told us to baptize people under certain conditions and in a certain way, and I want to look at that. What is baptism, and why do we believe it the way we believe it? So in the book of Acts, Starting in chapter 8, look in verse 26, we're going to look specifically at, it's called an ordinance. A Baptist church has two ordinances, and that's, that's kind of like a, a, a formal declaration of who we are and what we do. We have two of them, and it is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Next week, we'll be talking about the Lord's Supper, and next Sunday, the 11th, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper at night, and want to invite everybody to come to that. But baptism, what in the world is it? So first of all, I want you to look at the method of baptism, and we're going to see it in a descriptive way. So in verse 26 of, Roman, of Acts chapter 8, it says, The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. So there was a messenger that went to Philip, who was an apostle. Philip was one of the disciples who, after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, they became apostles. The disciples became apostles. And that means one sent. So he is in a sending mode. He is on a mess. He has a, he has a, a mission with a message. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. And was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So here's this guy. He had been up to Jerusalem. He was a proselyte or a convert into Judaism. He was a, uh, uh, a politician, if you will, or an administration to Candace, who was the queen of Ethiopia. This was a black man who lived in Africa. And he had gone up into Israel to worship freely as he chose Yahweh God in a Jewish method or rhythm. And so he, he was one that had a fear for God, and he was one that was, had dedicated himself to serving this queen and serving her country. So he was a very intelligent man, 
and he was uh, a very a man with a great amount of authority. He had a, an entourage with him, and he was over literally. Uh, he, he was over all the money of this country. So he's a very powerful man, and he worshipped God. But what's interesting to know is that God sent Philip to speak to him in more detail. So here's what we learn from this. Just believing there's a God is not enough to have a relationship with God and to go to heaven. There's a lot of people that claim they believe in God or they call themselves spiritual kinds of people. They might even use the name Jesus, but they use the same vocabulary, but a different glossary. They have a different meaning behind the name God or Jesus, and it actually matters. We do not worship the same God as Islam worships or, or Buddhist or, or Islam or, or any other group. We worship specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God, who became man, who is distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit, as described in Scripture. So here is a man who needs more information, even though he had just got through worshiping God. He was not safe. He was not saved. He was in jeopardy. And that's why you and I, who know the Lord, we are to be in step with the Lord because He desires to seek and to save that which is lost. We are on a mission that we get from the great commission that Jesus gave right before He ascended into heaven. And so that's what Philip is doing. Philip goes to him, and he happens to, as it says, the Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. This entourage had stopped, and when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Look at the urgency of Philip, listening to the message to go. He goes, he sees it. God says, go talk to him, and he runs. He doesn't hesitate. He moves quickly, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, this guy is reading out loud to himself. He's that intrigued. He's investigating. He's on a journey. He's searching. And, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him into his chariot. Now the scripture passage that he was reading was this. And here it is. It's from the book of Isaiah chapter 53. And here he's reading and he says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb in silence before its shears. And he does not open his mouth. Who's Isaiah talking about? Jesus. Yeah. So 600 years before Jesus was even born, there was a prophecy of how Jesus would act as he's going up Golgotha, the place where he was being crucified. And it says, it was like he was led like a sheep to a slaughter, like a lamb is silent before his shears. Now, anybody who worships Yahweh God in a Jewish rhythm knows all about lambs and sheep and the purpose. This man did. And it, you, you know that the, slant, the lamb was slain, was slaughtered, his throat was sliced, and his blood was put on the altar as a sacrifice of atonement for sins. Verse 33, it, Isaiah 53, he's quoting Isaiah 53, and he continues on. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. In other words, remember Pontius Pilate? Said, Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? They chose Barabbas, and then he washed his hands, meaning there is no justice. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from earth? Now, that's an incredible passage that must be interpreted. So in verse 34, the eunuch replies to Philip, I ask you, 
Who is this prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeds to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. So Philip is an individual that knows more than he does, and he begins to break it down, exegete, explain exactly what it means, and he tells him the gospel. That's what good news means, the gospel. Now, a few weeks ago, we did a whole message on what we believe about salvation, and we went through the gospel message that you and I need a Savior. We are doomed. I am headed straight to hell unless Jesus dies for me. We've established very clearly There is nobody in this room better than anybody else. In God's eyes, we are all doomed. But God so loved you, and God so loved the world so much that He sent His very own Son to take your punishment and my punishment. That whosoever believes in Him, something would happen. Your trajectory would go from hell to heaven. You would be radically transformed and changed. That whoever believes in Him would have eternal life, is what it says. That's the passage. And so he explained to him the good news. And then watch this. So as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And so, but there was something that would keep him from being baptized. Now, think about it. He's from another country. He had just gone up to worship in in Jerusalem and a lot of Jews there. And he doesn't look like them. He's a black man, but he's, he's, he's a prominent man. And he asked him, here's water, what would keep me from being baptized? And Jesus, and and Philip just says one thing, and here's what he says. He says, and Philip said, if, here's the condition, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he believed, and here's what he said, I believe, here's what he believes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And basically the one that matches Isaiah chapter 53, he is the lamb that took my sins away, and he rose from the dead, and he believed. And then look what happens. So I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Then he ordered the chariots to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Notice that. Went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer. But he went on his way rejoicing. And then it tells where Philip went. So just an incredible event. An angel tells Philip, go see this guy. He goes and he sees him. He crawls up in his chariot. He explains the Old Testament, the Word of God, right where he was reading. And next thing you know, his life has changed and he is baptized. It's interesting that when you talk to people about the Lord, uh, most of the time, God has already been trying to get their attention. When I go and I talk to somebody and I'll start a conversation with them, And I usually start with what's going on in their life. I may ask them about a religious background. I may ask them this question, how do you worship God? Do you believe there's a God? Yeah, how do you worship Him? If He's all great and mighty, how do you worship Him? And they'll say, well, you know, the golf course, that's a great place. And I go, yeah, I like the golf course, that's nice. But I usually lose my salvation there. No, You know, in a deer stand, that's where I like to worship the Lord because it's just quiet and my coffee and it's just real, get to see the sun come up. I go, man, I love being in deer stands. That's fantastic. I got, to, I got to lead a man to Christ right in a deer stand one time. It was great. Then I baptized him. Water was cold, but we did it anyway. And I, I'd say, how do you worship God? And, and, then, and then I'll say, but there, don't you think there's a problem if God is holy and we are not? If God is righteous and he, he, He's in a temple, how can we with filthy hands, bad mouths, bad thoughts, how can we go? And I don't know. I guess He just forgives. I don't think so. I think He does it based upon something. 
And that is that Jesus Christ is the one who takes the penalty. You see, God never changes. We sang about that, right? He's, the word is immutable. He never, ever changes. And so since God is holy, he is always holy. One of the characteristics of being holy is that you are just and you are faithful and you are righteous. And so how faithful would a judge be if somebody came in and stole everything you had and killed one of your family members and this criminal came before the judge and the judge just said, you know what, I know you probably didn't really mean to do it. I probably, I know that everybody else isn't good either. So you're just free to go, don't worry about it. I mean, would you think justice had been served? No. Every single sin of mine is accounted for. Every single sin of yours is accounted for. Someone has to pay the price for my sin and your sin. It's either you or it's Jesus. And you actually get to choose that right now, here today. Who takes my sin? You? Do you think you're big enough? You think you'll just, you know, some people say, when I'll get into a conversation, you know, one of the questions I might ask, say, where do you think you will spend eternity when you die? They go, man, I'm going to go party with all my friends in hell, ACDC, the whole thing. Really? Really? You really believe that? You think you're that big? In the presence of God? You really? I mean, it's fun to say on earth. It's not going to be so fun to say after you die. Are you really that big? Are you really that holy that you can do it all on your own? That you never commit sin? You know what? We all commit sin. Have you, have you considered the Ten Commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Have you ever considered that one? You can't even get past the first one, much less the next nine. The Ten Commandments are there are not to save you. The Ten Commandments is there to show me and to show you we need a Savior. And Isaiah wrote about it. The prophets wrote about it. Moses wrote about it. David wrote about it. All the Old Testament wrote about it. And here, Philip explains to this guy who's seeking, here's a better way. Here's the only way. And it is through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he baptizes him. So let's look at this baptism. It's all about salvation. And it is a picture of salvation. But look at the method. The method of baptism is it was a person that believed and then he went down into the water and then he came up out of the water. Two Greek uh, prepositions, ep, ek, up, out. Not that the water came down upon, but he came out of the water. And so we get from this and many other passages that speak specifically, descriptively, and proscriptively that they were immersed underwater and they came back out. Now, I realize we have really great friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord that see baptism differently. They see baptism not as a sign of salvation, but a sign of covenant body relationship. And they, and they will baptize infants and they will usually sprinkle. And the reason they sprinkle infants is because you can imagine if I held a baby underwater, how many grandmas would come hit me upside the head, right? So we changed the mode to sprinkle because it's, it's a lot better to sprinkle a baby instead of hold them underwater, right? By the way, you can't hold a baby underwater. I know that for a fact. That's how I taught my kids how to swim when they were infants. You, I can't believe I'm going here, but here we are. <laughs> you, you, you blow in their face, they hold their breath, you put them underwater, and they just begin to swim. They're called water babies. That's how you do it. Now, don't try that at home. It's only for experts, but I'm <laughs> just saying you can, you can actually do that. However, in church, you don't stick babies underwater. It's just... Not very politically correct, actually. And so our friends, you know, Presbyterians and great men and women of God and, 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 and Methodists and, and others, 
they will baptize baby, but, it, but it's for a complete different reason. And I would argue, and I have many times with them, that then they're missing the whole point of baptism after salvation. And you say, well, is that just one time we see this immersion? No. You see it in Matthew chapter 3, 2 and 3, when Jesus was baptized. It says Jesus came, ep, ek. Look, Greek is very specific. It's a language that God gave us at a time when the Bible was written in Koine Greek, so it would be very, very precise. And so when it says that Jesus came up out of the water, it means he was down in the water and water wasn't poured upon him. And then everybody else who was baptized was baptized in this mode. Look with me in uh, Acts chapter 1. It speaks very clearly in Acts chapter 1 where you've heard about John's baptism, but there's going to be another baptism that comes with the Holy Spirit and not many days from now. And then you have, there it is, in Acts chapter 2. Here's this Holy Spirit baptism, and then it was followed up in verse 41 with a baptism. They baptized 3,000 people after they believed, not before. So we would see that this biblical baptism is not for those who can't choose for themselves. It's only for those who can choose for themselves. We see it again, you know, you got Acts chapter 4, you got the movement of the gospel. Acts chapter 5, there's some disunity. Acts chapter 6, they're setting it in straight, uh, setting it straight. Acts chapter 7, you have this incredible sermon by Stephen, and many people get saved, and there you have it. Here we have Acts chapter 8. You have this guy named Simon who was a sorcerer. He was called the great, his name was the great power of God because he would do all these mystical tricks and all these seances and all these things would happen until... Peter came in preaching the gospel, and when he came in preaching the gospel, everybody believed him, and even Simon, the guy who was the sorcerer, and it says even Simon himself believed, and after that, after salvation, he was submerged, immersed, baptizo. He was brought in under the water, immersed. And then we have our story here with the Ethiopian eunuch. Then in chapter 9, you have Saul's conversion. He, he's going to kill Christians, and he has this great light, and he falls off the donkey, and next thing you know, he's looking up, and he sees this great light. It blinds him, and he says, who are you, Lord? And the answer is, I'm Jesus Christ. Why are you persecuting me? And his whole life changes. He goes into Damascus, and he goes to this place called Straight Street, which that street is still there. This is interesting. This is off subject. I know that, but this is interesting. You think Syria is a mess right now? Absolutely, it's a mess. It's been, been bombed and all the fights going on with Assad and Hezbollah and all this stuff that's going on. Do you know there is a seminary being built right now on Straight Street in Damascus? Isn't that crazy? On that very street we're talking about right here. Now back to the sermon. He gets up and he is baptized, submerged. This is the Apostle Paul. Then we go forward. We see it again in chapter 10, verse 47. They are baptized. We continue on all through, and you see this page after page. Chapter 16 is a famous passage, and we dealt with this a few weeks ago, and we dealt with it with Lydia and then uh, the Roman guard. So Lydia, she was, she was baptized and her whole household after she believed. The jailer, after he believed. Paul is before Agrippa, King Agrippa, and he's being arrested. It's at the end of his life, and this king has his life in the balance. He could, he could have him executed or he could allow him to live. And Paul, for several verses, a lot of territory in Scripture he's using, and he's just talking about his testimony. And he tells how he met Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ changed his life, and he says, I was baptized. He took the mark of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then, this is interesting, 
King Agrippa makes this statement at the end. He goes, you know what, Paul? You are very persuasive. In fact, you almost persuaded me to follow the way, which is Jesus, but I won't. Not later, he dies and is eaten by worms and stuff like that. It's really bad. But he had that opportunity, and there he had Paul right in front of him giving a living testimony of all that God had done. So you see, in a, in a descriptive way, this is the book of Acts. It's a narrative. It's a story. It's very descriptive that people believed and then they were baptized. So let's look at a prescriptive, in other words, a didactic, a teaching on the very thing. Turn with me to the book of Romans. It's just to the right, one book, and turn to Romans chapter 6. And you have in Romans chapter 1 the reason for the book. You show, it shows in there that men are far from God. In chapter 2, we're so far from God that religion won't help. Chapter 3, fo- so far from God, you can't obey law to get there. And then Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now, since you couldn't get there on your own, but now there is a righteousness by faith apart from the law that's being revealed, and it's incongruent with the prophets and, and the history of the Old Testament. And then he explains at the end of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 what the gospel is. And then in chapter 5, he talks about you are so saved. When Jesus takes away your sins, you are so guaranteed heaven that some people uh, think that their sin keeps them away from heaven. And he says, no, no, no. The reality is where sin abounds, grace much the more abounds. In other words, you are saved by grace, not by works. You are saved. It's completely free. And if you understand that correctly, you might have the same thoughts that they have thinking, okay, if I'm completely saved and there's no more fear of death or hell, then why don't I just continue to sin that grace may abound? I mean, have you ever had that? I mean, if you have a teenager, you're like, I don't want you to know this message. I don't want you to just go ahead and sin that grace may abound. Well, look what it says in Romans chapter six, starting in verse one. It says this, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. You're missing it. If you, if you just have that attitude that you just say, you know what? I'm just going to sin and I'm just going to do whatever I want because I've got my fire insurance. I got baptized and I, everything's good. Then you're missing what salvation is all about. See, there are two dangers when we talk about baptism. The first danger is some people think that baptism saves you and it doesn't. Baptism doesn't save you. Um, can you think of anybody in the Bible that, was, that went to heaven that was never baptized? Thief on the cross, right? So here's this guy. He's being nailed next to Jesus. One of the thieves says, hey, if you're really Jesus, then get us off the cross. And this other guy says, dude, shut up. <laughs> shut up, man. And then he turns to Jesus. He said, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom, into paradise? Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. And the guy is nailed to the cross, bleeding, dying. He didn't take himself off the cross, go get baptized, and then say, okay, now I'm ready. No, he didn't do that. Baptism does not save you. If baptism did save you, then that means we have a salvation by works and works alone. And then there's no need for Jesus to die on the cross because you can earn your way to heaven. That's not the case. Baptism doesn't save you. Um, you may be here and you may say, look, I've trusted Jesus, my Lord and Savior, and I'm born again, but I've never been baptized. Man, you can still be a child of God and not be baptized. 
You still have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You still have a place in heaven that the Lord is preparing for you because baptism doesn't save you. Now, let me address this. If you think that baptism saves you, then you have a screwy view of what the gospel is. You don't, you're not clear about this. So the way we look at it, we teach in our starting point class, is baptism is just a symbol, and it's kind of like this wedding ring. And so 37 years ago, this last Wednesday, this little girl said, I do. And I'm like, awesome. And she put a ring on my finger. And then we've lived happily ever after since then. At least I have. I don't know. <laughs> and so occasionally, I'm the kind of guy that loses things. And in fact, on my keys, I have a little plaque that says, when found, send to. Not if found, just when found, send to. And it gives my name and number. So I'll lose wedding rings occasionally. And I finally, I went up to one of the jewelry stores in town. I said, hey, listen, man, I, I keep losing wedding rings. Can you help me out? And he says, I got you covered. And he pulls a box out from underneath the counter, and he has a bunch of rings in there, and I pick out five of them. And I said, hey, what do I owe you? He said, five bucks. That's good, man. And I said, awesome. So here we go. <laughs> That's all right. And so when you find this, it's usually it's going to be mine. But let's say today I left this here, and it got lost. Am I still married to this wonderful woman? Yeah, I am. And I don't have the symbol on, but I am. Now, if I put this on the ring finger of my son right here, would he be married? No. So some people have been baptized, but you've never really accepted Jesus. You were baptized as a baby. Or maybe you went through the motions like someone else did. It's like putting, putting a ring on a 10-year-old. It doesn't mean anything unless they truly are married, which I don't advise, but it, that's just the way it goes. So it's just a symbol. But here's, here's what it symbolizes. This is what it means. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin and let grace abound? God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, when you made a profession of faith in Christ, you said, Lord, forgive me my sins. I repent. That's what you said. I repent of sins. I, 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 was, I was headed one direction, and I realized it's the wrong way, so I turn. I turn, aw turn away from that, and I go a different direction. That's all repentance means. It's as if you're going down a road, and you're going down it really fast, and you see a sign that says, bridge is out. What do you do? You don't try to cross the bridge and say, I'm fast enough to do it. You say, no, you cannot jump over the Grand Canyon. You can't. Now, you might be able to jump five feet farther than I can, but you're still going to die. That's the reality. So here's what you and I do. We, we are headed down a road, and we see that it, the bridge is washed out. We can't jump over the Grand Canyon, so we turn around to the Savior. And so we're headed towards our sin, our own way, our own self, and we're running our own life. And then when God captures our attention, we say, that's junk. I'm going to follow you. It's called repentance. I, I began to change. So here's what he said. Absolutely not. How can you who died to sin still live therein? Or are you unaware that all of us, watch this, who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's not the water, it's the meaning. You were, therefore, look at this, we were buried with him by baptism. That's talking about your past. What's the meaning of baptism? It's a past, present, future. Here's what it means. You were buried with him in baptism. What that means is when Jesus was on the cross and he died, he went down into the tomb to nail, take away all of your sins to where they are no longer yours 
and you're not accountable anymore for your sins, past, present, and future. You are completely saved to the uttermost. That's what that means. And when I was baptized in 1977, and yes, they had churches back then, when I was baptized, it was a symbol that my faith in Christ, that I literally was there when He died on the cross, and God's judgment fell upon His Son, and He was dead, dead, dead. And He took away my sins. And me being baptized, it's just my symbol saying, I unite with this. That's the past. Now look at the present. Therefore, we were buried with Him in baptism and in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, so we too. So when Jesus rose from the dead, it's like somebody coming up out of the water. It's like saying, I joined Him in the resurrection. And what that means, according to Ephesians, is that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So that's how you and I can talk to God. Because we're unworthy to be in His presence. But the fact that we've been covered with the blood of Jesus, and we now have an advocate with the Father that we sit with Jesus, we can talk to Him face to face. So boldly approach his throne of grace in your time of need. Why? Because you have access. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, you have access. And then it talks about our future. So we were buried with him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, so we too may walk in newness of life. And that's like when you come up out of the grave and then you walk away. You are a dead man walking is what you are. I have died to the power of sin, to the penalty of sin, and now I'm walking to get rid of the presence of sin in my life. That's what I do. That's what you do. And this walking in newness of life, that's why you and I come to church. So we can learn all the principles and the power and the privileges of being a child of God. And we can appropriate them and we can put them into action because you learn them. The women, there's a group of women that are learning about the, the armor of God week after week. And that just begins to change you when you talk about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet shot with the readiness of the gospel and the sword. I mean, can you, can you imagine what it's like for a whole body of believers to walk in newness of life as a soldier for the Lord, understanding what salvation is, it's a big thing. And that's what baptism means. But also, so our, the method is by immersion. We see that in Scripture. There is no doubt. No one doubts that. You know the meaning. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection and how you participate. But now here's your motive. Why should I be baptized? Well, we just went through several examples of people who wanted to follow Jesus. They were baptized. We live in a day and age where there's a lot of freedom to be baptized, but it wasn't always that way. In the time of Christ, in the time of the apostles, it wasn't easy. You, you paid heavy prices. And then we went into the dark ages and the born-again experience, it was taking place, but it wasn't promoted by the professional religious people. And then you come out of the dark ages and you, you understand that salvation is by faith alone and not by works. And then you have great men and women of God who took it a step further and said, to be saved is an event. It's, it's not a process. It's not like the thief on the cross could get himself off and start acting better, and then God says, now you get to go to heaven. It was instant event of salvation to be born again and receiving the Holy Spirit. And they said, now we need to be baptized. But some of these fellas had been baptized by a church as a baby. 
And to be baptized again was an assault to the doctrine that had been preached. And these people were getting waylaid, man, I'm telling you. These are called the radical reformers. They're called the Anabaptists. In other words, they got baptized again. That's what Anabaptism means. And they ran all over. They were up in Switzerland. They were running through Germany. They were running for their lives. And finally, as you know, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, he was in jail because he proclaimed this same kind of message. And finally, they got on a couple boats, the Mayflower, the Nina, and the whatever. Yeah, you didn't know it either. Yeah, thank you. And they went over the pond and they started America so we could proclaim salvation by faith alone and we could be baptized after salvation, showing that we believe in the born-again experience. That's just the truth. One of those fellows that had uh, proclaimed the gospel and you must repent and believe in Jesus, his name was Michael Sattler. And this guy went and got baptized again and Finally, the bad guys caught up with him and said, you'd like to be baptized? We'll baptize you. And they tied his hands and they tied his feet to a long pole. They took him out to the middle of this lake and they held him underwater. Because they said, you like baptism? Here you go. And they raised him up and they said, recant, repent of this false doctrine. And he said, I cannot deny my Lord and what he's done to my life. I cannot deny how I read scripture. Now they did that to a lot of people. But what's interesting about this story and this event was his mother was on the banks of the lake watching this happen. And you could hear her voice across the lake as it echoed, going straight to her son, saying, Michael, die for Jesus. Die for the truth. Do not repent. And they killed him in that lake. See, it's a bold act. Here's what it is. Number one, it is a proclamation. When somebody gets baptized there, they are proclaiming of a personal relationship with Jesus and believing that what Jesus said is true. It's a proclamation. It's also a portrayal. You portray what Jesus did for us. You are on display and you are the message when you get baptized to everybody you know. That's why we do it publicly. We don't do private baptisms. We do public, at least a couple people there. We've baptized in pools, we've baptized in tubs, we've baptized up here, we've baptized in lakes and rivers, but there's usually other people there to watch it. And it's kind of a portrayal. In fact, one kid had received Christ, a young child, and in our children's department, and they talked about baptism. They said, man, I want to be baptized. So he ran over to see me because the children's leader said, go tell Pastor Mac. So he runs over to here and he says, hey, I want to get advertised. And I'm like, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to advertise what just happened. But also, not only is it a proclamation, not only is it a portrayal to portray the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it's also obeying a command. Jesus says, be baptized. He tells us, the, his followers, to go to the whole world, to the all nations, all ethnos, ethnics, Go to all people and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Meaning they have understanding. They have commitment. They've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what we believe about baptism. And that's why we're a congregational church. That's who we are. You may be here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may have always believed in God. You may have even believed that Jesus lives, but you've never repented of your sins and given your heart to Christ. Listen, 
I don't want to sugarcoat it. I want to make it very, very clear. This is a decision you must make, a line of demarcation that, yes, I am a follower of Christ. I repent of sin and, and running my own life, and I surrender to Jesus to be Lord and Savior. If you have not done that, then you are not safe, you are not saved, you're not under any grace at all. But if you do, just like the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You need to be baptized so you can proclaim who He is, so you can portray what He did, and you can obey the very command. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.